Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. New York City Crick Club is now accepting applications for spring 2021 semester. Now in its fourth year, New York City Crick Club is offering nine new courses this spring via Zoom with eight new faculty and 30 guest speakers and critics from around the country. Spring 2021 features a newly designed visiting critic program, which offers weekly artist talks and critique from established contemporary artists, as well as two weeks of professional feedback and dialogues with gallerists and dealers, including Mrs. Gallery, Monica King Contemporary, Pace Gallery, and more. Applications are now open and close January 20th. Classes often fill before the deadline for accepted artists. Early applications are encouraged. The New York City Crit Club is a radical alternative offering critique, community, and connection for artists post-BFA and post-MFA. They're proud to offer BIPOC scholarships and work-study rates for artists in financial need. New York City Crit Club is run by Hilary Doyle and Catherine Haggerty. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufacturing in upstate New York, Golden is an employee-owned company that manufactures acrylic paints, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints. Golden sent me some new paints to try out, So Flat Matte Acrylic Colors. They're professional-grade acrylic paint that are completely matte and self-leveling, so they leave no brush strokes. So Flat artwork is easier to photograph and looks fantastic online. They're pretty amazing paint engineering feat, and you can check them out and all their other products at goldenpaints.com. Robert Pacorni is an American contemporary visual artist living and working in Long Beach, California, and holds a BA and MFA from California State University, Long Beach. Recent solo exhibitions include Modern Gilt in Blue Skies and Dialogue at Ampersand Gallery in Portland, Oregon, and in group exhibitions Within the Distance at Johansson Projects in Oakland. Left Coast Connection at Ringling College of Art and Design in Florida. His work is held in public and private collections worldwide, including the Fidelity Art Collection and University Hospitals Art Collection. He's been featured in Art Maze Magazine, Amadeus Magazine, Art Alimite, Cool Hunting, Juxtapose, Maps, and Voyage LA. Rock Posters, Guernica, Long Beach, Sparkle Horse, Neil Young, Linen, and much more. Here's our conversation. green tape yeah this is my frog tape mic stand nice do you use frog tape to paint um no i don't use tape i use tape actually just to uh tape the sides of the linen panels so they don't get dirty because yeah just because they look so nice yeah yeah it does i thought about that in looking at the linen you know obviously you're using linen you could see it in the work and um i'm doing like a few small paintings for an art fair in japan and i went to the local art store because i just wanted to get 
you know, they're, they're small. I didn't have to make the panels or stretchers. I didn't want to. I just wanted to get like five small ones. And the art store here had almost nothing. Like their inventory. It was sad. Because was, everyone's purchased everything because they're home painting? I, that would be the utopic vision <laughs> of why. I think they're just not stocking inventory because they're not moving stuff, I'm guessing. Because, you know, times are tough. But it was a little depressing seeing like empty stacks. But there were only this small group of linen, um, you know, pan or stretched linen. And then I went for it. And... Um, that's it's always been a thing. Like I've painted on linen a few times in my life, but you know, there's like this luxurious. Oh, it's linen. Oh, <laughs> it it is luxury, and and uh, the feel of it is like hugging your brush. There's nothing quite like it. It's like um, it's like butter. It's velvety. It's like it's wonderful. But it depends on what you're doing too. At the same time, I go. I want it to move quicker. I want to so. Yeah, but I also like I love that raw look, and and it's toned with that raw look, and uh, but I mean it's sealed too. I, I get PVA glue put on it. Oh, I was going to ask if you were using clear gesso. No, I don't do it. I actually have people do it for me because I would probably make an utter mess of it. Glue, scissors, <laughs> anything like that, wrapping paper. It's a hot mess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I don't understand about it is because in my work, it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't matter because I'm usually working pretty flat. Like I'm not, like the tooth isn't what I'm looking for. You know, I'm not, I don't need a lot of like grabbing going on, but you said it's like butter, but isn't the butter quality of it basically how it's primed, not the linen itself? Well, probably, but it goes right into the linen. So you're getting that. It feels like there's nothing on it, but there's like three coats on it. Um, yeah. I mean, so you it could does seep in. Oh, yeah. So you could make it, you know, I'm sure up to a slicker surface. It just depends on what you're doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even sure if it's necessarily what I you know, want. I'm sure I'll move it around and do other things. Like I used to do uh, wood panels, just nothing on them. Yeah, and uh, that's smooth. That's yeah. That's <laughs> but also the drawback to that is that you have to paint like a lot, lot, lot yeah. on top, and so um, the painting would take forever to do. It ha- and right. it gave it a certain look, which was really beautiful. But at, by the time I was done doing all of them, I was like, I'm not doing this again. Like, yeah, I could have cut that down in you know three fourths time. So right, yeah, it's it's funny because surfaces depending on how you prime it really that's what dictates the feel of it i love this kind of like teched out geek paint talk there was <laughs> plenty of days Sorry. when like this kind of talk would annoy the crap out of me but i love it now i feel like it's it's such a niche like discussion yeah. you know what i mean like when i go into a student studio and they start asking me about like matte medium on uh, using matte medium with tape or how do you cut this or like how do you mix that paint or you know wet on wet I mean that kind of stuff I love it because it's such a like there's a very very small percentage of the population that would even care to think about this stuff <laughs> and I don't know a lot I just know what I know so I'm always I'm open you know to see what works and uh, it's funny because I also um, in my studio here, I have a big roll of butcher tape and yeah. 
butcher tape, butcher paper. Um, and it's super slick. So I'll do like just quick little studies or ideas on it. And you just glide across this stuff and it's, it's so wonderful. And then you go over to your linen and it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you moved like two inches and you're like, okay, that sucks. But, uh, have you used those, uh, paint markers? No, there's so much. I'm, that part of my problem, I guess, is that I'm interested in everything. I want to do everything. And so there's just not enough time. I, I want yeah. to. I, I know I will. But I right now, I just got to stay focused on, like, certain projects I'm doing. Because I can easily get sidetracked on anything going, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> a, those, those pieces that you do that look like, almost like they could be marker. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's these sort of abstracted portraits that look, they're very linear. And based on, of like, a, an a, amalgam of these line gestures. They're brush. And, yeah, but but they they make I don't know if you've seen them or used them, but they make these what they're called like paint markers, but they're not markers. It's just paint in like a handheld thing with a foam tip, and then you can make these beautiful acrylic like you know linear strokes. I, I do want to try and use those for sure. There's something also about um, the precarious nature of a brush. Yeah, and, and I I like that challenge too, of like. Just is it going to grab right here? Is it going to do a wonky little mark in there? And uh, is my mind going to wander and I'm going to end up somewhere where I didn't plan on going? <laughs> which, yeah, hap- right. which happens all the time. Like, yeah. You'll be like in this long, glorious line and about halfway. I'm like not thinking about what I'm doing. I'm thinking about something else. And also I'm like, okay, refocus, slow down your movement here and look back where you were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, okay, that's part of the piece. Uh, right. In the moment, that's such a, it's that feeling of uh, cliffhanging is exhilarating, you know? It's like when you, I don't know if you play music, but if you're in the middle of a song and you start improvising a bit or you're changing the chords up a little, there's that, you know, I could mess this up. And there's there's an adrenaline rush from that, you know? Oh, oh yeah. I, I think that's the nature of those pieces too, is that it's, it rides that precarious line of uh, success or failure. And like every mark matters, and um, yeah, it is a they're like performance pieces in a sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, painting, uh, art making is performance, really, right? Yeah, I always use that. You know, I must have had this conversation with my father, like you know, fifty times, because he's interested in art because of me, you know, and and like if, inevitably at some point Pollock comes up and he's like, yeah, I just can't, I don't get it. You know, and that kind of like, what, what, you know, I could do that, that sort of argument. And then I, I, I bring out this, you know, try to nuance the, uh, the description of this beautiful dance around the canvas and this collection of gestures captured in the moment of time. And it just doesn't fly. Like it, <laughs> just, I mean, there's a little bit of understanding of it, but he doesn't quite buy it. But that performative element of, of working, I think, is so compelling, especially these days, because, you know, if you think about performance and a recorded performance, it's really changed, right? Because now we have the internet, we have video, we have, you know, everything is kind of like, like you can experience right now a live show over Facebook, or I mean, uh, uh, Instagram Live, and see a musician in their 
you know, in their studio performing, there's a performative element to that. And it's, it's not that far removed from, it's different, but you know, you're, you're seeing it, but with paintings or sculpture or, you know, art, it's, it is a performance that's recorded, but you don't see that process necessarily. It's like this final result of it. It's, it's an interesting kind of lapse. Yeah. Well, I think like Pollock is someone where it's easier maybe also for people to see the performative element in it because it is so chaotic and uh, the paint splashing, all this stuff. Um, other you know, you know, things may not be known so much for the, the viewer. You know, and they just see the finished product and they just go, oh, that looks easy. <laughs> and then I, it's funny because going back to those linear works, I've had people that kind of look at that and to people that are, that are not artists and that's kind of the impression that comes across. It's kind of funny. And then I would have artist friends who see that and go, Oh, I, I totally understand that. Like, so. It's, yeah. They can't, they can't remove that childlike, which is funny. Cause I think a lot of artists are really trying to get back to that childlike right? exploration. But, from, but yeah, exactly. But from the casual viewer, they think, Oh, well that looks like kid stuff. You know, but and it's like it, a, like if you think is. about music, yeah, it is kid <laughs> stuff. That's true. If you think about like classical music, there's always that awe of like, wow, like I couldn't play that. You know, the the, the integrity of whatever their experience is emotionally of listening to that song is mitigated by the impression that there's no way that they could do that to perform it. But if you you know if you go to a Ramon show, you know, you it's just like, well, I could play those three chords. It's kind of childlike, but then the raw energy of that is palpable because you're there and you feel it and there's a look to it and it's, you know, there's a sweat and an energy to it, but you don't see that in painting because, or because you're, you're going to the gallery and seeing it later in the white cube. You don't, you're not seeing that, the grind of it, you know? Yeah. Well, there's or a lot the dance. to say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> music and, and art and that. Yeah. Like you were, like you were saying the classical and the, the complexity of all that and not uh, like, you know, I couldn't do that or whatever, but, or even to the minimal last for me, just to flip it, um, the minimal elements is what kind of excited me. Yeah. And also, you know, those spaces in between and, um, yeah, we'll go. The, the John Cage. Well, aspect. yeah. Or even, yeah. um, let's see. Well, I guess, you know, the Miles Davis of the space between every, you know, the notes. But uh, there was a band growing up that um, it was like one of those moments where uh, it all this was like, wow, this is this is art. This is it was nothing like I had ever heard. And um, it really if I was to cite influences and stuff, this would be something in my influences because it and it's still to this day i think an utter masterpiece was uh talk talks uh, spirit of eden oh uh, yeah so I, I remember when it came out because um, one of my brothers was into talk talk but more the new wave kind of side of them um but they're an interesting man too because they, they each album progressed but when spirit of eden was coming out i had already been influenced you know by their music and big fan and when it got, I, when it came out, and I went and got it. I remember playing it in my car and just being like, "What the fuck am I listening to?" Like, <laughs> yeah. and just blown away. 
And I remember sitting in my uh, friend's driveway, uh, and I was still playing it and just listening to, uh, gosh, what was that song called? I think it's uh, Desire. It's like one of the first songs. It's like three songs all in one. They just kind of bleed into one another. But so much was happening, and I could—I don't think I could comprehend all what was happening. But I knew I was listening to something special. Yeah. And uh, and that album, I'd go on to. I remember I went, when I was visiting my friend, played for him. He was a musician, a drummer, and then we were both just blown away. And then that became kind of like an album that we revered. Yeah. And, uh, and he was actually a big Zeppelin fan, like John Bonham stuff. But and I was pretty stoked that he was into this as well. But uh, yeah, but that anyways that that album is very sparse. Each like note had a purpose. So that's like when I think about art myself, I think also sometimes, not always, <laughs> that <laughs> every mark has a purpose, or everything is is there for a reason. Right. And I think, you know, I, I really believe in that less is more. Uh, not always did I. I think I used to throw the kitchen sink in some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right there But, with you. Uh, you know, that stuff really interests me. I think uh, there needs to be uh, a term or a phrase in the English language that describes what you were talking about, this moment of inspiration. It's, it's inspiration, but it's also this moment where it's like a mind-blowing kick-in where you uh, think to yourself uh-huh. like, oh i want to i want to explore something that achieves that moment of like mind explosion that, that i just had you know what i mean and I, I there's no real kind of term to wrap that up but it i i i noticed you know a good portion of the people i talk to have that that revelation at some point in their life, usually when they're younger. I would think like you would that. need to, right? To get yeah. to yeah. passionate about, uh, about art or music or, and if you don't have and passion to do it, I don't know if you should be doing it <laughs> unless it's just, you're doing it for other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I think that, well, there, we all know there's people who do it for the passion and then there's also people who just, they do it because they like, I mean, not just being an artist, this could be for anyone, you know. There's people who act because they love getting into the role and understanding the, the transformation of of your own personality into this other being and, and finding more about yourself through that expression. And then there's people who do it because they want to be on the cover of, like, Us Weekly and, you know, they want to drive a nice car. Which is, hey. Right. There are two forms of motivation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I'm on the I need it to breathe kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, or I get edgy and not nice. <laughs> yeah, that definitely. I think when people talk about, you know, creativity or making art as therapy, I think that's truly like the for a lot of very serious artists, that's the therapy of it. It just keeps you sane. Like it, it's something outside of your day-to-day normal existence that gives you almost like religion for some people or you know it gives you some driving force outside of what you know necessarily yeah. i don't think i realized it though at first because i just would be getting edgy and i'm like i just and then you get doing it then you're like you know that's that uh that place you need to be yeah well it's you know i didn't realize i need caffeine the way i do until i started drinking coffee every day in my life I, I totally understand. My wife's trying to get me to get a quick caffeine, and I'm just 
it's like it's oh what now come on we all it's we one need of my something. favorite flavors yeah <laughs> we need something right we, we <laughs> well i need a lot of things but, <laughs> but uh, yeah i feel like that's the vice for me it's my last vice you know it's you a good obsessed, one <laughs> especially in in like covid stuff like, i don't know how you're are you uh a healthy are you a health fanatic at all or i feel like i've become even more tuned into my supplements and being healthy because of out of a general panic of you know of our current situation i don't know i don't i uh i definitely been started to take supplement stuff i mean i'm getting old i i looked in the mirror occasionally which i avoid my youth i didn't so much <laughs> but now i'd see it and i'm like i don't know who that is right. and uh and then I'm like, I, wait, that is me. And then, and then I just go, wow, when did that Isn't happen? Isn't that weird? Yeah, when did that happen? When did I become I, the dad? Yeah, I find that with uh, a little bit uh, accelerated with the mask thing, because sometimes I'll be wearing a mask so much um, that when I take it off, I'm like, oh, geez, there you are. Like, you're, you know, you're getting old. <laughs> like you see the change fast it's like when you don't see a friend's kid for like a year and then you go visit and you're like oh my god like you really changed you know but day to day you don't really notice it as much yeah so i that's why i think of uh cutting off that oh and then, right and then and then you just go Ooh. was that a playoff beard or is that a uh, co- like a covid beard or have you always had this is strap on beard Oh, yeah. no, it looks it's convincing <laughs> in Zoom. <laughs> well, I, I joke with some of my, my friends and coworkers that, uh, that have beards. Like this one guy has this amazingly big beard, and it, it's ridiculous. And I always tell other people, ask him about his strap-on beard. <laughs> <laughs> need to get one of those. I feel like it gives you a certain level of distinguished you know, accomplishment. It, you know? It's stupid, but it's totally true. Like, I could shave this off and not get as much respect. I put this on my face, and it's it's just goofy. <laughs> I don't get it. And I think I um, I used to notice this when I go to we used to go to Art Basel every year yeah. to Miami, and would walk around. And uh, I think it was the first year I'm walking around. You know, I'm just an artist. I'm not buying anything, but I'm looking at stuff and the gallerists would come and start talking to me and I'm like, what is it? What's it that's different now? Like I couldn't put, and then all of a sudden it kind of dawned on me and uh, it's just too funny. Like I remember just going, I'm an artist. Don't waste your time on me. You know, like <laughs> go someone over there. Felt bad for them. It's like, it's okay. Kind of. No sale. No sale. <laughs> <laughs> Save your Cannot. energy. Yeah. But yeah, okay. it does give you a certain, and just, I'm sure the payoff is it's the distinguished versus like if you shave it off, someone's going to say like, oh, you look younger. Well, no, it, it, I, it's re- I will lose like 10 years easy. Um, it's and my wife was we were just saying the other day, she's like, this is, you know, it's OK to look younger. You're not going to, you know, as you're going to look older the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? It's all <laughs> <a> process. <laughs> but I'm like. But then you'll see I have no chin, and then (laughs) (laughs) you lose some structure. Yeah. Um, Well, where'd you grow up? Where did you get your start? Um, I grew up in Modesto, California, 
So Whoa. that's about uh, five and a half hours north from here. Yeah, just um, I'm bad with California geography, but that's just south of so, uh, a little, little while south of San Francisco, correct? You're about an hour and a half from San Francisco, hour from Berkeley. Um, I think about an hour and a half to the Sacramento. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I actually had a great childhood in terms. Of, I say Modesto to most people, they kind of cringe. And uh, is it cringeworthy? I don't know. Oh, now I would say it's changed. I mean, I'm sure, like with every other place during the geez, 90, 2000 era, really took a you know, it went down bad. Yeah. But in this, when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, it was the heyday. Um, and a lot of people from San Francisco came down and bought homes out in the orchard kind of areas and gave a lot of land. And um, there was, it was thriving. And, and that, during that time, anyways, it was, especially the 80s, things were booming. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I, I grew up there. I grew up in a street that was kind of unique, too. It was a little bit outside of town, it was kind of in no man's land. So it was between all these other towns, even though they tied it to Modesto. And it, they, don't, they won't do streets like this anymore. So you, you pull into it, and you, it comes into just uh, its own and dead ends, and it's just surrounded by orchards. So you're yeah. kind, And you're kind of off the beaten path, and then it's, it's, it was great. And uh, you, know, you made tumbleweed forts, and you rode bikes in the orchards, and um, all the neighborhood kids, all, we all did everything together, and... It was, as my wife says, you had to leave it to Beaver. Um, right. Well, your parents, but, were they in a creative field or were they in agriculture? Or? No, no. My dad was a teacher. Um, he was a 20 years in Air Force. And he actually taught ROTC when he was teaching at first. Then he went into administration. and He actually did a lot of things. He did like administration. He was like vice principal. He was athletic director. Athletic director, activities director, all at the same time. Wow! So, yeah, he was he was doing a lot. Actually, I probably didn't see him as much due to all that. And then uh, my mom was working for a, a poultry health board and for California. And then uh, I was the youngest of four brothers. Oh wow! So that's a lot of boys. Yeah, a lot of boys. And by the that house time, must have been wild. <laughs> Well, like the oldest brother, there's uh, like 11, 10 year difference, you know. Oh, okay. So by the time I was older, he was already off to college. And then the next brother, he was, um, was it eight years difference? So almost the same thing. I had a little more of a connection, you know, with him than my oldest one growing up. And then the next brother, there was a four year difference, four and a half. Mm -hmm. So we were actually probably the closest in terms of growing up. Yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's the age difference between me and my brother. Feels like a a good enough, like it's not too too close to where you're in like a similar grade, or you're not, you know, you're separated enough to where you can be out of each other's hair. But at that point, I had a friend growing up who was, I think he was the youngest or the second youngest of uh, nine kids, and uh, the the parents you you never saw them. Like it was. I'm I'm sure by par- uh, by kid six they were just checked out. It was you know they were basically rogue. Did you <laughs> did you get a lot of leeway? I uh, my brothers youngest? my brothers used to oldest brothers used to tease me that uh, that I got you know everything. 
in terms of by that point, like, you know, the joke would be like, here's $10, take out the trash. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it it wasn't like that. But there there was a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of leeway. And I saw a lot of like probably do's and don'ts that I, you know, picked up on. I don't really remember a whole lot. Um, But I was a pretty good kid. Like I didn't like to cause waves. And I was just, I was outside like all day long. Were you skateboarding? Uh, a little bit. I was, I was doing sports like tennis, soccer, basketball. Um, Do you have a favorite? See, that was hard. I mean, growing up when I was younger, during the, I really liked soccer. Always loved basketball, like loved basketball. But I think um, if I had to say like probably my most connected to that I probably should probably stay with even longer was tennis. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, but, but, so so different, right? It's tennis, such a, uh, you have an to be individual mental thing, you know? And I like that. Yeah. I definitely realized as I got older that the team sports wasn't for me as much. You're not a team uh, player. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I think it was the personalities and yeah. then I realized that I was like, eh, not really digging my teammates. So there's this right. trust thing that you need with your teammates. Yeah. And uh, and also I think I wasn't you know probably getting as much playing time. Like I quit basketball my junior year. I think I knew that I wasn't uh, as good as I needed to be, and I wanted to play, and I just didn't want to sit there and waste time doing that. I wanted yeah. to do other things. And then uh, you had to choose between soccer or basketball by the time I got to high school. And I, I, went, I left soccer and went to basketball. I probably should have did that way around. But uh, um, yeah. basketball was like my biggest. I mean, uh, Dr. J was like my idol. Yeah. Dr. J would be an influence too. <laughs> right, right. There, there was something about just those, those gorgeous lines and movement and – uh, yeah, that I, I still to this day I would say is something that I'm interested in. You know, the movement, the lines, the this, it was that, the beauty of it all. Like You're trying to get hoop. that hook shot in the studio. Yeah, I actually I have a, a Nerf hoop. <laughs> still to this day, I've, I've always I played Nerf hoop since my childhood, and I've always always had one with me. Um, me and my brothers used to play. When they come home from college, we'd play in the. Fo- like foyer, we had this really high ceiling. My brother built like a backboard for it and all the stuff, and went on the front door, and we get some vicious games. And I was a little kid, and these yeah. guys, you know, and but I was good, <laughs> so it, the games <laughs> were tight. And then we had mirrors like against the wall next to it. The games would get going. My brother like threw me into the mirror, and the mirror came smashing down, and my mom freaked out. And oh my God. <laughs> then we weren't allowed to play for a little while, and then slowly it came back out again. Right, we'd, right. And we'd keep playing. So, do you? Anyway. I, I I talk a lot. I think on here about the relationship of sports to you know working in a studio, and it's like exercise, and you gotta you know Oof. practice and just you know hit the. It's like a <coughs> grind of it, you know, which. Um, I think when you play sports and then you move into something like, you know, being an artist and working in a studio, there's something about the, 
you know, the ritual of practicing and you, it kind of gets ingrained in you, like this work ethic where it can get ingrained depending on your coach, I guess. But for me, like growing up, you know, playing soccer, like traveling and doing it all the time. It was just, it's what you did. You know, you woke up early and you started running and you did your practices and all that stuff. And, and I think I have that same approach when it comes to making work. Did you, do you feel like you had some of that instilled within you through sports? I don't know. Um, I wasn't a good, <laughs> I, I was always like, uh, it, it, sports came naturally to me. I was kind of more of that, uh, didn't want to work that hard. Oh, you want to know, you know, there's uh, you know that I always, cause I still coach soccer and, uh, there's that thing of like 10 things that require no talent. Do you, have you ever <laughs> seen that list? And it's like no. showing up on time, working hard, communicating, like all these different things that like make you a great player without talent. But you're like one of those ones who, who had the gift and then you were just like, eh, you know, this is easy. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I think I took it for granted. And then, uh, but I really, I, yeah, the workouts that you're saying within the studio and, uh, or even the physicality, it is like, a, people don't realize how much art making is physical. It's, and if I'm out of not being in the studio regularly, boy, those first few days are brutal, like yeah. on my body. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's being in that kind of like exercise and also maintaining exercise right now, like trying to, you know, yoga or whatever, just trying to keep the body uh, lubricated, to get in here. But in terms of having that work ethic, I think it just kind of came naturally once I started taking it seriously. Yeah. But before, like, even in, like, school, I was probably, like, that athlete, too. Like, who, eh, whatever. Just kind of, I wasn't really into school. Like, I don't like these jobs, or not jobs, the assignments that I'm having to do. And Right. I don't think I really, I, I did not utilize my schooling as good as I should until I got to grad school. And, uh, Grad school, I mean, I took a big break, too. I mean, it was, what, 13, 12 years in between. 13 yeah. years in between. By the time I got there, then I'm like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. Right. To, to some degree. The, that's that gift of, like, real world. I mean, I oh, went yeah. straight through, so I didn't really understand that. But I was just really motivated, and I really wanted to sort of make that's it good. happen. But I did see a lot of people who had taken five years off. And worked a crappy job and then they got back into grad school and they, they were just like, you know, it's go time. Like that, you could see, I mean, there were a couple maybe who were just wanted to take it easy, but most of them, it was like they had this opportunity now for two years to just work, do nothing but make their work. And that was like a gigantic gift, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, it's expensive, not a gift. Um, <laughs> I, I was working investment. full time and going. So I was working five days a week and doing grad school. Um, but during grad school? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. I mean, I've always, I've been working and working <laughs> for like <laughs> 25 years. Um, so I, I'm kind of, I know what I can do and not do to some degree. It's stressful. But, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. And um, you're talking day job. Yeah. We don't talk about day job, but day job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's like Fight Club. <laughs> it's just like it's there. You know it's there, but you don't let it seep in. Right. Um, or at least not to. You got to do what you got to do. 
And then when you get to the studio, that's when you do your thing. Yeah, sometimes it's funny. Like, just going to the studio, you're like... Because I, I work nonstop, it's like... You're at home, and you're like, okay, I need to go to the studio. But you're just like, wow, this is, this is normal life right now. This is what it would be like to be a normal person. Yeah. This is great. And then I'm like, five minutes later, I'm like, stressed out of my mind, out of anxiety <laughs> of not being in the studio. And then so... So there's that. There's that. So sometimes just walking down five flights of stairs, it's daunting. As stupid as that sounds, but or or not to. I mean, I think you're a little older than I am, but just staying awake for crying out loud. Well, yeah, I have the gift um, uh, of insomnia, of uh, sitting down and falling asleep. Oh, oh, that gift. No, I thought you meant like, oh, you don't have to worry about falling asleep. Yeah, I can. These days, I can fall asleep. I joke around, but it's not really a joke. I'll fall asleep drinking coffee. Oh yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. It's not a, <laughs> I can have like a double espresso, and it's it, you know it's level. Like, <laughs> I'm not, there's no acceleration of anything. Okay. It's a gift. It is. It is. <laughs> a well-oiled machine when it comes to that. And it it sounds like too though when growing up that music was on your radar too. Was it oh, always around music? Is huge. In fact, it's weird right now not to have it on. Um, I have music on twenty four seven. That's what I like to hear. I can't. It's breathing for me. It's. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not a musician. I tried playing guitar at one time, and there's one of those things where I didn't have the discipline, and it was like it's not as coming as easy to me as I wanted to. So I, I think I probably. No, I know. I just didn't do it. But I am a music fiend. I used to be even more so. Um, now, was yeah, this because when you grew up, it was always on in the house? No, actually, it's funny because I didn't come from artistic parents. They had awful taste in music. Um, but I have older brothers. So uh, uh, so I was, they had music coming in and like, my oldest brother, I don't really... I mean, I remember him liking like Bruce Springs. I remember I still have visions in my head of going into his room. You know, He's a teenager and I'm probably the what, what, young, young kid walking yeah. in and looking you know, at his albums on the ground. I still see Neil Diamond, Hot August Night, um, which is a great live album. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I know he was really into like Bruce Springsteen. And then my other brother that was still around a few more years... I'd go into his room, and he was really into stereo equipment. So I remember Zeppelin, Bad Company, uh, Boston, Van Halen. I, I remember Van Halen 1 when that came out, and I, Eddie Van Halen blew my mind. Now, there was one of those moments as a young kid, you know, well, how old am I, eight years old, and hearing this, and it was just like, wow. And uh, Is one the one with everybody wants some on it? No. It's before uh, that. Yeah. Van Halen 1 is Running with the Devil, Eruption, You Really Got Me, Jamie's Crying, Ain't okay. Talking About Love, Atomic Punk. Um, I, came anyway. in, I came in at uh, 1984. Oh, okay. That's where I entered the Van Halen room. Yeah. <laughs> with that That's Cupid a, smoking a cigarette on the album cover. That's that so record. good. <laughs> yeah. I think about that as a kid. I, I mean, I was 10 years old getting 1984 and that and my dad handing me that record you know it's so funny it's like a cupid with like a tattoo and a cigarette in his hand <laughs> it's great i i got that cassette i remember putting my walkman but it's funny uh album art 
album art yeah. is a huge thing too i think that was someone i just saw posted today talking about album art and uh it's a it was a gateway into art too not even realizing um so many great album covers i still i mean i i revere those and uh you know, during that time period, too, as I got a little bit older and influence of my brothers, my next brother got me into more like the new wave kind of music. And um, our tastes differ in that sense. Like I like I like it and I like it led me into bands and finding out, discovering more like Talk Talk um, that really went different directions. And but uh, mixtapes. Yeah, that was uh, I, I miss mixtapes. But uh, and then you're making your covers, and then all the, you know, choosing each song, what's the transition, all these things. I, those are big influences on me. Um, that's such a yeah. That was that's a real creative link because remember those mixtapes. I don't know if if you were doing the same time period and like the same style, but you would get those Maxwells, and they would come with those white lined pieces of paper in there. So we'd take that out. And then get another piece of paper and cut it to the same size and like collage our own or like make our own yep. artwork I still, for it. I still have mine actually. I have really in my studio here. I uh, I couldn't wait to get a cassette deck and stuff because I pull out all my mixtapes and stuff. So I, I play them all the time. They still yeah, play. It's, it's crazy. It, it's the, and those those images are etched in just like when you mentioned. I think you mentioned Boston, right? Yeah, not my favorite, that, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, me neither. But I remember that record cover. You know, like there's record covers oh, yeah, like Thriller yeah, yeah. and stuff that I could probably draw it from memory. <laughs> and right. I had a mixtape that had uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions by Public Enemy on one side and then like Cure, Depeche Mode, The Smiths and a mix on the other side. Yep, and I, got those. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly that blue color of that homemade artwork and the drawing of it all. And, and I played that tape until it actually broke because it was so thin, you know. But yeah, that's. That, I think that was a real. I don't know what it's like today with that stuff, but that, but that connection between for me it was also skateboarding, like the skateboard art, and then the cover yep. art of records was like yep. that fuel for thinking well, visually and being excited by like visual it's, stuff. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like all that stuff is so. It was it was magic, you know, and I think probably I don't know, I'm jumping around, but. Uh, in high school, I got into an art class around sophomore year, I think. I got thrown in. T- I was taking architectural drafting. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'm interested in that. And then uh, they canceled the class and threw me in art class, and I was pissed. But uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be in there. And then these guys, nobody does anything. These aren't, these aren't the people I want to hang with. And then, because uh, I... I'm going to jump back here. As a kid, I drew, and I was always, like, I was okay. You know, I was better than most people, I guess, but, you know, it's still kid drawing. Um, and then jumping back to again to high school, I get in the class, and then you start doing it and going, wait, I remember this. I enjoy this. So I was like, okay, this is, this is okay. I'm okay with it. But people would be drawing on their, like, peachy folders, just like you'd see, like, movies, you know, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, and all that. I was doing the same thing. Yeah, the Van Halen logo. I I think I drew that hundreds of times. But, uh, and the power, so my point being is the power of all those, you know, imagery of the music and all that stuff was was huge, whether you're realizing it or not. I mean, I realized it much later. Um, 
for sure. Yeah. Definitely. So did you, I mean, when you were in like high school, was art something that you, you know, thought, when did it become something more than just, you know, a default class you got bumped into because architectural stuff was sidelined? Yeah, that was gone instantly. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I got into the class, I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of cool. And then, you know, they had us keep a sketchbook. Yeah. And I was like, well, what do you do with this? I get in and I would try to try. And then I got like, wow, this is kind of cool. And then I would show people and they'd be like, oh, wow, that's rad. You know, it was not rad, but um, <laughs> it was really terrible. But uh, but there was some power to that. And then right. instantly with that came this kind of like different kind of aura that even people that treated you were like, just I was carrying my sketchbook around or whatever. And then... Um, it's kind of funny. Then it also just kind of opened, maybe also the time period also, where you are in life, you know, listening to music and now you're drawing and you start to become aware of other art at this point immediately because yeah. it's in your world. Um, I think I was starting to like going, like different things, kind of turning more inwardly and also realizing at sports, like I was saying earlier, that I'm not really too into all these team sport things. I'm more into this individual thing I'm doing right now. And, uh, so I liked tennis to, and uh, actually ping pong. I love ping pong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> love it. Table I, tennis, if we're being formal. Yes. Yeah, I actually took lessons for a while. I, people laugh at this, but I did take lessons with this uh, guy in town who was like the best in town. I joined the uh, table tennis club. Nice. Jumping around here. Um, and it was all old gentlemen, retired, yeah. a lot of doctors. And... Uh, I remember going in, like, because I was really good as a kid, table tennis. Like, any racket sport I was natural at. And uh, so I could beat all my friends, and I'd play my dad. Like, my dad was pretty good, and he used to play in high school all his ROTC kids, and he was like, he would only come out with this paddle from his desk and whoop everyone. And then, so I would try to get my dad to play, because I would be beating everyone. And then I was playing my dad, and I beat my dad. And... He never wanted to play with me again. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was <laughs> And I was like, that sucked. But uh, anyway, so I remember seeing in the paper uh, read, every day in the morning, reading the sports page and table tennis club at the local junior college. I want to go. And my mom's like, honey, you need to take him and all this stuff. <laughs> so he, he did. He, they, he took me that first time. And I was like, oh, wow, Hooked. Mecca. These are the best players in the world like nice and uh i think i lost every single game there's such uh, an art form to it isn't there though i love table tennis it's it's so fast it's so it's so much skill set and um natural i think it's a lot of natural ability actually yeah one thing it's like you either have it or you don't and uh yeah but anyway so that's a that's a famous line somewhere of you can't teach ping pong. You <laughs> have it or you don't. <laughs> no. Table tennis. Were you uh, yeah, exactly. Were you a pips in or a pips out? Uh well so I had pips on my backhand and then I had a smooth uh, Oh a hybrid. Mark, Mark five. I had a really nice paddle. So nice. I I came with my like cheesy paddle and instantly was looking at all these other guys who had the uh, the other nice paddles and 
you know, we're doing spins and all this stuff. I'm like, my pedal can't do that. Yeah. And then um, this was also before you had to have a black and a red side. So you could have right. two color. You had the same color on both sides. And so you could put your paddle underneath, flip it over, get the other spin. And then when you serve, Deceptive. you yeah. have to have the flat hand with the ball. And yeah. And then what you would do also is you would stomp your foot on the ground so you couldn't hear the sound the paddle was making so they would know what you were doing. So wow, that's the rules, next level. Yeah, exactly. So the rules actually changed not soon after of uh, you had to have two different colors so the opponent would know which side you were using, like right. not a different. And I got my special paddle from the guy. I started taking lessons from that guy. I was talking about he was a young 20-some-year-old hippie-looking guy, but he was a badass table tennis player. And uh, I'd go over on his house on Tuesday nights, take an hour lesson. And through him, I got my, my, uh, my first pro paddle. At the, it was like 19, what, 83, 84, no, 84 maybe? Mm-hmm. This was like a $55 paddle. And I was like, wow, this thing's... That's a lot, Then <laughs> yeah. That'll buy you a lot of Van Halen records. Yeah. But anyway, so I, got, so I got this paddle and on the... It was double red, and unfortunately, it was it was not official anymore. Like six months later, <laughs> right. but it, it had on one side um, called Super Anti, so it took off spin, and on the other side was Mark V, which was like super spin. So my yeah. forehand was the super spin, backhand was the anti spin, and uh, I did that for a while, and I realized I wanted the pips, so I got the pips. I, I peeled yeah. off my my cheap uh, other one, which had pretty good pips. And I unpeeled the other one and glued it on, and I kept that for a long time. Well, that's not uh, street legal. It's not street legal. <laughs> it was unofficial. I thought I was training for the Olympics. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it becomes it's a joke now. Where uh, right. I play other friends or colleagues, and they're like, "Oh, I have a ping pong table." I go, "Oh, I, I play," and uh, then it just starts in the. the trash talking comes in which is the most fun right. and uh and then i tell him i i trained in tibet for a month and uh, <laughs> and, uh and i do very deadpan yeah dead straight face and i go well the first month um we just stared at a candle flame just to get our focus right and uh that's the way it goes <laughs> as any good training starts <laughs> on the mountaintop <laughs> yeah it's 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 funny but uh and then I, or I'll joke, like, oh, if I play with them at first, I'll be holding the paddle. They don't even realize it, and it's all just my personal joke, I guess. But uh, I'll play with them with my left hand, mm-hmm. and then I'll switch over to my right hand. And, <laughs> oh, and they don't even realize it, so I'm like, the joke was lost. But uh, it's, it's funny. Well, I hope you get to pull that out at kids' birthday parties occasionally or, or in certain situations. Nah, I haven't actually played since... Probably five years. The last time uh, my coworkers had a tournament. <laughs> after so, after that, no one. I have no one will play me anymore. <laughs> yeah, you you make a pallet table out of a ping pong table. You could multitask in the studio. Have, they're gorgeous now. I've yeah. been telling my wife that we should put it in the dining room. There you go. Take it. Dining table. It'll, look, it'll look like a dining table. Yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah, I got um, training. Do you bring the, the the same interest to that kind of tools of, of the trade into the studio? Are you kind of, do you geek out to that stuff, like your brushes and all that? Or are you pretty uh, laid back about it? 
uh, geek out for sure. We did a uh, little chat about the gold and stuff. You seemed kind of curious about the. Oh uh, no, new, I. New I am interested. And in fact, I need to. I probably need to go run out and buy paint because Dick Blick takes forever to get stuff. Oh um, yeah. And I'm like, every day I keep going. I should get it. And another day passes, and I'm like, going, this is getting too late. Oh, dangerously low. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would try to show you, but uh, I don't want to lose our... Yeah, with the, the computer. But I, I've i been really into these, uh, what do you call those? Princeton Catalyst brushes right now. Nice. Have you ever those? I don't think I have. I, I'm, I'm notorious with cheap, I use very cheap brushes, like water-based brushes, but I use a lot of foam brushes. Yeah, I, I, I looked and saw you uh, painting something with a foam brush. And I'm, I was curious about that. Like, it just takes away the brush strokes because a lot of times I want it to be flat. There's there's a lot of stuff that is brushy and I use, you know, okay brushes. I don't, you know, get like top of the line or anything because uh, because most of it is relatively flat. But um, so when you use a good one, then you just go, why was I doing that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. That's, what, that's what happened is I started using the good ones and I'd be like, and I have brushes everywhere, and uh, I, yeah, but I and I these right now I'm just like wow these are great, and uh, I pushed all the other ones aside. So, yeah, and, I, uh, I, I do geek out on that stuff. Right. Well, with uh, with paint, do you always use water based or do you use oils too? Water based. I uh, haven't done oil in a long time. I really want to. Um, but my studio, there's no real ventilation. That's why um, I quit. There was so, the fumes. Yeah, Back in so, art school, they were just using turpentine, like raw turpentine, which is, with no ventilation, which is probably why I'm not as sharp as I could be at this point in my life. <laughs> I think I lost a few cells back then and, you know, huffing all that fumes all the time, being stuck in the art school and I and I I remember moving to acrylic, and they gave me one of the teachers was on sabbatical for a year, so they let me use their office, and then the headaches went away. Like I I just felt less woozy, and I felt a lot better. So I, ever since then, I went water based. Water I, acrylics are great, and I, I there's so much you can do with it. I don't even scratch the surface of what you can do with it. I utilize it however I need to. I'm not super. Uh, investigative in terms of like what can this do what can that do yeah most of the time i'm on so i'm on whatever a project that i go this isn't maybe the time to do that um but i i'm curious to you know mess with that and a lot of time i go oil would be probably suited for something i'm doing right now but you know such is life you know right and with the scale of your stuff is it usually pretty manageable are you ever working giant it's pretty manageable I mean, I think about, yeah. Right now I'm working on a four by five foot panel right now. Um, but not, nothing nothing too big because then I start to realize that, and this is terrible, I shouldn't do this, but you're like, I'm probably going to get stuck with this. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I going to store this? Like I did a... Grad school did a four by eighteen foot painting, and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" I still have that four by eighteen foot painting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a very specific dimension. Like four by eighteen is 
Well, I did in three pieces and screwed them together on the sides. Right. Um, but even still, yeah, I'm looking at it. Um, the reason so I, I thought about it is because some of those portraits, you know, when you do see a portrait that's larger than life, like if you take someone like Chuck Close or something, there's something that's just really interesting that happens. And then uh, when you abstract it, it becomes even more, I think, it's it's kind of this bizarre visual relationship you have with it where it's like that is a huge kind of like a head and there's nothing really interesting about that scale shift you know oh 100% a lot of time I go this would be great large you know or I do things with that in, in mind but it's then it becomes you know what's realistic can I get it through the door um, you know it's yeah. in but uh, some practicality things but yeah, definitely, um, definitely enjoy painting big. It's definitely it feels a little bit easier, which I know a lot of artists probably say that too. The painting smaller is tough sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if it's successful small, you know it's going to be successful big. Right. Yeah, I always say it's really hard to make a great small painting. Like you can knock someone over with a big giant painting, even if it's good, you know, but to do that with a small piece, it's really got to sing, you know, yeah. I, I was a, just having this conversation. Oh, really? Life. Yeah. We were just talking about, um, we were talking about, you know, artwork that really big and really little. And I was saying that to do, to be able to pull that off, you know, is definitely, it's a feat. And, uh, but there are artists that do that for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, Frederick Hammersley, who's, I love big influence, his organics, they're little and yeah. they're just freaking amazing. They're so good. And, and they have so much personality and, um, yeah, I love that. And I was telling her, I was like, I love that intimacy. I mean, I love big paintings and, uh, but it's also that separation too. And with the smaller paintings, you're coming up on it. So you're having, you're seeing the tactile, you're seeing, you're, it's kind of, the rest of the world disappearing a little bit, which it can happen also with big paintings too, but it's a little more impersonal. Um, Definitely. I think yeah, it it's a, the, the big ones, I feel like it's almost, I think about movies. It's like, if you can make that big budget movie, you have so much, it's, it's easier to blow people away. I mean, you've got all this stuff at your disposal, you know, and to make like an art house movie on a tiny budget, it might be more personal and you might feel a little more of that connection, but it's some, some things are just harder to, it's harder to get that visibility and stuff. And some of these people, you know, people who have like a, a successful career in a big gallery where they have a bigger budget or something and they have a huge studio and assistance and all that. It's in a way, it's almost like, you feel like it's not even fair because they could just like, you know, bang out these huge. And of course, if you walk in a huge studio and see like eight giant paintings, I mean, that's impressive. You know, people are going to be like, wow, this person's legit, you know? Yeah, no, I, yeah, there's, there's something to be said for both. Definitely. Um, And I, I Picasso is like one of my, my gods in terms of painters um maybe not as person <laughs> yeah. but that's, uh that's the conflict of interest yeah, <laughs> yeah that's all that's another thing yeah. but uh but yeah the, the guernica and that's just you know 
the best painting. I've I've said it often. It's my favorite painting of all time. And I I used to completely not quote unquote not get Picasso. I was like, what's a big deal? And you know, in undergraduate school, there was another guy who was a painter there who loved Picasso. He just made you know faux Picassos the whole time he was there and. And I was just like, this is just like boorish, kind of like whatever, you know, I, I just didn't buy it. I wasn't interested in it. And for a long time, I just didn't understand it. And then, you know, I kind of over time learned to enjoy the genius. But I went to Barcelona last Thanksgiving, not this past one, but the year before and went to the the Picasso Museum and saw the, um, you know, Las Minas and all his studies for that. I mean, it was just heaven you know just being in that place and seeing that work it was amazing yeah i yeah I've, I've turned my wife into an art lover as well and and a picasso lover art art wise as well and uh we, we it's almost like on a hunt like to go see his work it, there's something beyond the guy was a freaking genius and just when you're feeling good and you see his stuff you just go okay <laughs> uh this guy's on another plane like yeah it's everything. best not to make those comparisons <laughs> no it's good i think it's great actually i think it's always good to play with art history and and to look at it i mean hell they got a whole lifetime career for you to nowadays to pilfer go through and learn oh yeah and, yeah no i don't mean and, to not to not be inspired or to communicate directly with the artwork i'm saying to hold your own achievement of standards up to someone like no that, you know? yes see that's how i there's that i think it's a good because it only makes you want to be better and uh just when you're yeah you know, not to feel like uh anything is precious or good I don't know. It, I think it, it's for me. I, I love it, and then I just go, "God damn him!" And then, uh, but did you, as when you were growing up playing, did you lock yourself in the room and watch, you know, like uh, Bjorn Borg on repeat uh, for, so for funny. days and days? You know. Uh, so yeah, Bjorn Borg's another influence, <laughs> <laughs> and and John McEnroe. That's those. That's oh, oh so great. So I, I definitely with Bjorn Borg was was the guy. And then I realized as soon as McEnroe beat him and Borg kind of fell off the scene and then I started watching McEnroe more and I instantly became more of a McEnroe. And, and I re- McEnroe is just insane. There's someone that's all the talent, didn't have the <laughs> desire to, you know, to train right. and all that. I mean, totally yeah. related to McEnroe. <laughs> and not that I had the talent. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the non-training <laughs> but uh yeah no i loved it and even his bad boy behavior it was it was so exciting and um and raw and real and uh yeah those, yeah, those guys people were, were fun to watch right oh like God. the David personalities the world, and, like people who just yeah. like have it and they don't even have to work at it and they just then they're irreverent you know and just yeah it's great there's something kind of <laughs> exhilarating about that. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are big time. Uh, I used to say one athlete that I want to meet uh, would have been John McEnroe. Um, well, he's still sure. he's still yeah. meetable. No, I know, but I was just like... Oh, was back like, when you were younger. And he's uh, heavily involved in the art world. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, yeah, into photography, I believe, right? 
beats me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know Vetus got him into like uh, paintings and stuff like that um, originally. So I think he was into some of the what the bad. Have you have you um, have you read Infinite Jest? I did many many years ago. I didn't know if you would be interested in that kind of idiosyncratic relationship to tennis and. Wait, what am I thinking? No, I have not read Infinite. I'm thinking of something else. I have not read Infinite Chest. Why was I thinking? I was thinking McEnroe's book. Oh, no. Well, that would be a great title. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, like, also, I'm like, wait, that wasn't that. <laughs> no, it's David Foster Wallace. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. it's just an incredible book on... Uh, you're going to have to devote some time. It's a big book. But um, it's about a tennis player in his relationship to the world oh, that's funny. through tennis I mean you I th- would think that you would love it yeah sounds good though I probably wouldn't get past one page before I'd be asleep but uh, I do fall asleep while reading <laughs> well, maybe you can go audiobook in the uh, you know it that might be the route because literally I'll, I'll get I'll start a book and a year later I'm on you know first chapter and then uh, it's just stupid it's and but, you realize this this I'm not reading a book this is just NyQuil yeah, it, it's not good. Though, yeah, I, I have to be maybe in the non-comfortable position. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging upside down in the studio. Yeah, or something, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll sit in my car at times when I'll pull out a book to read and just like, you know, I, I wonder what it looks like for the other people maybe parked next to me. And I'm like, you know, neck bobbing, mouth open. It's uh, Yeah, yeah. It, it's embarrassing. Well, maybe the audio book <laughs> in the studio might be a good it's funny. I, I've tried, and it takes me out of my headspace. I agree. I can't do it. I do podcasts and audiobooks. Well, when I teach and I'm commuting, it's a four-hour drive. So there's your there's your audiobooks. But um, before bed or like you know after dinner or something, if I can squeeze it in, or like in between moments when I'm doing like mindless right. stuff, right, 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 right. I can That's how it. I actually did one just recently, and it, that seemed to work. But in the studio. It's got to be music, and then yeah. it, it varies. What you know, what it'll be like, yeah. Whether it'll be, though, I haven't really been listening to jazz much you know, for years. There, I listened to a lot of jazz, and then uh, now, in the last year or so, it's been a lot of Grateful Dead. But uh, it's kind of funny. You know? Just depends on the vibe. I used to say like winter months, my jazz would start to pick up again. But this year it didn't for some reason. Yeah, I think I I went on a jazz bender. I mean, I used to be a jazz DJ in college, and you know I play, and now my son plays trombone and guitar, and he'll play trombone and I'll play guitar and we'll jam out, which has been like kind of awesome. Like a dream That's so rad. You know, I yeah. used to kind of like force it once in a while, and he wasn't into it, but he's starting to get into it, which is great. oh no, you'll have that for life. That's amazing. Yeah, we'll play some, you know, like Dizzy Gillespie or you know stuff like that. You know, playing those songs wow. together is really fun. But, um, but yeah, I've it, I kind of like work. I'm, I'm into. Well, did you ever get into electronic stuff out of jazz? No. Like well, well, tell me what you're saying. Well, like I mean, any, I listen. For, I mean. For me, I got when I was a DJ in college and just doing jazz stuff at the same time, a lot of post rock stuff was coming out of Chicago that was like jazz inflicted, like Tortoise and stuff like that. And I that got me into kind of like post rock, which and then there was a big dub 
kind of like drum and bass influence at that time to that music. So I started listening to drum and bass and then, you know, like Mad Professor and then it got into like Oval and Microstoria and all that kind of Aphex Twin, that kind of electronic stuff. No, I, ne- I never did. I mean, I, I knew about it, but I, I never did. Um, it's kind of around what time period would you say? This was, we're talking like early to mid 90s. Yeah. So I met my wife in 90. 90. Uh-oh, you better, <laughs> this will be edited. Mid 90s. For, for um, safety <laughs> purposes. <laughs> and, uh, and when I met her, she had a daughter that was like five years old at the time. So mm-hmm. when we, then we moved in together. And then we ended up moving to New York, Brooklyn, Park Slope. And uh, that was 97. So around that period, I started not listening. My music, uh, it, it went down to some degree because it became more about family life. Listen, um, New Kids on the Block is fair. I mean, it's just <laughs> Well, that's... So... <laughs> In sync, there's nothing wrong with in sync. It's music. Yeah, yeah, in sync. Hanson, Backstreet Boys. I was tortured. Um, <laughs> we drove across country, and we listened to Mbop 15 times in a row. Oh and, my god! Uh, yeah, wow. But I mean, it, there's it's a fond memory. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah. So I around that time, I my uh, days at hanging at the record store every week. You know, stopped and yeah. all that stuff. So I, I think a lot of that scene that was happening then, I, I kind of fell off of. But um, and then, but music was still like always in the forefront. But uh, I met a guy in I was working at New World Coffee in Park Slope, and I was like the assistant manager, and I would put on. I, they had like a. But the music that you have to play in the store kind of thing but you pay for the service but they had a cassette deck there and if you just kind of remove wires around you can play your own music so I brought in like my cassettes and I was playing like my own music in the morning and then uh, one of the customers um, was like he's, he'd come in every day I'd see him he'd same guy always with a book he read like a book a week sitting over with his ice mocha and all of a sudden uh, Robin Hitchcock was playing and he comes over and he's like, is this your music? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, so Robin Hitchcock's uh, Queen Elvis, do you know that? I do, yeah. Was playing. And um, so I started this friendship up with this guy. And little did I know that I was meeting probably the most, uh, someone with the biggest wealth of knowledge on music, the biggest collection of music, and... Uh, and books, for that matter. Like, as I said, this guy was reading... A, every time I saw him, he had a new book he was reading. And uh, so he started bringing me, like, hey, I made you a mixtape. And I'm like, right on. And it would, so he introduced me to a lot of other things. But it was more on the singer-songwriter vein at that time. Yeah. And uh, so he he kept me, like abreast of everything going on and then we became really good friends and then he also he was so generous like ridiculously generous like he'd be at the record stores and oh I got this 97 cent one in the user bin of this band and 
But I'm like, oh, this is great. He turned me on to, he was constantly turning me on to music. And then he got me into like Mojo, Uncut, and Word. And like, so he, like Christmases and stuff like that, he got me a, he would get a subscription for himself and get a second one and get me. So I, every year I had Mojo, Uncut, Word, every British like music mag. And uh, so I was reading and doing all that and I'd just be like, back in the scene <laughs> that kind of yeah. realizing what's going on i mean you know tailored to those magazines taste too right, right. but um but they were great yeah uh, so that kept uh, me going as well but also during that time i uh i was doing band posters um which actually started before we left there's a record store here in long beach called fingerprints and they're like one of the probably renowned record stores like independent record stores in the mm-hmm. country. And um, I actually worked there for a very short time. But that was a record store I would hang out at. And um, I started doing local club posters. And I think I brought one in to them. And uh, he was like, I can't remember. this. I'm probably messing this all up. I don't know if I had already started working there. Because I was thinking about opening a record store and I wanted to get some knowledge about it but um uh eventually i guess he asked me to do a poster for an in-store and they had only been open a few years so i did i did that and uh that went on for like 12 years wow <laughs> yeah i never did planned you do them in new york i did them in new york and because uh, i just did like two maybe God, what year was that? Like maybe two years of posters before we moved. And the last poster I did actually was for a guy named Jim White. Do you know him? Jim White? Yeah. No, I don't. He's, he was on Luwakabop. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know that. And uh, Wait, is that David Burns' label? Yeah. Or affiliated? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he, he was there. So I uh, met him and he was living in uh, Williamsburg at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was giving me all this advice on how to get a place in Brooklyn and... Uh, he it was really cool, and he would actually he offered me to stay at this place, to to you know while we were looking and stuff. But I don't know, it seemed kind of weird. Like I don't know him, but very very sweet. <laughs> That's cool. But it was funny. So he was like, so you got to get like a cell phone, and you know these are big cell phones at the time. Right, right. And he's like, and like when you're talking to the people, go off and act like you're talking like you're a big shot, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> and, and all this stuff. And uh, it's too funny. Like he was very eccentric. Yeah. And, um, yeah, anyway, so we ended up in Park Slope, which that's a whole nother, that's a funny story too. But, uh, was the local, was it a local record store? Were you doing other music at that time or Kim's or anything like that? Or was it? No, no, no. It was only, I was shipping everything back to Long Beach. Um, and I was running the coffee shop. We were actually lived like two doors from PS321, which is where Serena was going, um, daughter. And um, so take her to school. Actually, no, my wife take her to school because I was working at 6 a.m. She would take her to school. My wife's a modern dancer at the time, too. And uh, that's why we went to New York. Um, I'd go to the coffee shop. I'd get out just in time when uh, Serena would be getting out. I'd pick Serena up and I'd get back you know, to home you know, to do homework and all that stuff. But basically, I lived in a two-block radius in Park Slope. Nice. <laughs> right, right. That's a well, and, that's a good area, isn't that by JJ Byrne Park? JJ Byrne. No, it's 
I was on First Street and like Seventh Avenue, so it was close to Prospect. Okay, okay. Um, so anyway, so I would be doing posters when I get home at night, and uh, then like FedEx those off to them. They were so that was pretty consistent. I think I did oof, anywhere from 100 200 posters. Wow, I'm not even sure. And I, as I say, I never planned for that to be what it was. And, uh, but it was a great learning experience. Deadlines are your biggest motivator, biggest friend. Totally. Yeah. Like it made me learn, you learn on the fly. And I almost feel like that was like my education because school, I didn't do crap. And then all the, you, you picked up little things here and there, whether you realize it or not. So when you came time to do all these like posters, I had like a, you know, set dimensions and all this stuff. And I was using uh, watercolor and gouache. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they weren't like being, um, they, they weren't serigraphs, they weren't silk screen or anything like that. They were just like paintings, and that's you know, they would make like uh, color Xerox. Yeah. So and we had a, like a relationship with the printer, and um, so it was cool. So I was like, oh, I'm satisfying. I get to do painting. I get to do music. I was like, I'd get music given to me. I was like, this is the greatest, and. Uh, yeah, so I did that for a long time. Didn't like doing the typography. Uh, was that, I, that something was only, you studied, or did you just teach yourself no. that? <laughs> Obviously, if you saw it, you would go. Did not study. <laughs> yeah, these things are like, can, do you, are they out there? And do you associate um, with them, or are they kind of like this? I don't thing know anything they're... about them. Okay. <laughs> right. No, they're out there, and yeah, I actually have tubs of them to the right of me here. You got to send um, me some pics of them. I'd love yeah, to see I, I've definitely. It's. They're funny. I'm sure some um, of the bands are people that I've been into, you know. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't really reach. I would show you right now. But um, I'm not even sure where I was going with all this. No, you were talking <laughs> about how this, uh, this informed your... Oh, no, practice. it did. So basically, it, um, it taught you a lot on the fly. And then I treated like the posters like an assignment in the sense of that I go... What do I want to learn right now? So I get the band and I go and I'd listen to the music. I'd go try to read all the lyrics or anything and I'd write down like a word, like out of one thing. And I'd try to like, not to be, I'd take things and I go, I can use that as an element to, I'm going to make something. And and uh, it seemed to always work. Um, at least I think. There, you know, there was a few every once in a while where the band would be like, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I did uh, one where I won't say the guy's name, but uh, I, it was cool. It was like a carnival scene, and the, the the roller coaster came and went into his mouth. I guess it was a very sexual uh, connotation. At the time, I wasn't even thinking about it, right. but I guess it was, and it's kind of funny. And then I made another guy like with his face all like maybe like a school assignment, even in the sense of like cut up and rearranged and very cubist, I guess. And, he was very vain, and he's like, "Why is he making me look like this?" You know, <laughs> I'm like, "I'm like, it came out good, dude." <laughs> but it was funny. But then you get other ones that were like super, super stoked and uh, really very appreciative, and uh, so that's cool. Most of the time, I didn't want to meet the artists or musicians. Yeah, because um, a lot of times you'd be like be disappointed in terms of, it'd be right. as awkward for them as it is for you and uh 
that separation is good. But, um, I think it's a good it's it's a good um, sort of task to do. I think for any artist is to have some sort of thing where you have to like what we think of as commercial art, or basically making art for someone, and then negotiating that process because you learn a lot about you know. I think a lot of times artists, if you're just doing your thing, you it's all you all the time. And, and even it bleeds outside of your own art where you just feel like, oh, I only want to do what I want to do. And you're never negotiating between someone else's ideas or, you know, I've been I fortunate like enough to do a couple public projects, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where yeah. you do have to have those skills of being able to like work with someone on what they're looking for and what they need Very and the good process of it. And yeah. you could tell that they often work with people who don't have that experience because they'll be like, oh, wow, you're so organized. Or like, this is so great. You know what I mean? So I think it's a good skill set to have, you know, to just Absolutely. be able to understand. Especially if like, I, I don't know, like an example, like if you get it, if you have a museum show or like a show somewhere outside the traditional gallery context, you know, you're going to have to be working with a lot of people. And it's it's good to have those skills, I think. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't do these unless I had full, complete control. <laughs> and that's why I think it, what happened was, and that's, it was great. Rand at Fingerprints was like, yeah, here, here's the band, do whatever you want. So that I think was, as I was saying, a tool of learning that I got to do whatever I want. So yeah. it was, it was neat. And, uh, you ever hear a band called Sparkle Horse? Yes, of course. Um, so this was probably one of the most unique ones that happened uh so i did um a poster for an in-store and i think it was the second record and um anyway so i decided i'm not sure why i decided this but i did like this bunny rabbit in space (laughs) it's pink bunny rabbit in space like shooting something and it was like it was kooky but he didn't know that. He hadn't seen it. They were coming in. I hadn't known anything. They had just bought all these bunny masks. And uh, they came to do their in-store and put that on. And they were like, you know, this, this is great. You know, what are the chances know? of that happening? Yeah. But um, so that went, that went over pretty well, I guess. And then they did another uh, in-store years later. And I did this... Um, illustration of and it was a collaged and painted and I had like tin type photograph that I cut out this little boy's head and made all this stuff and um, he was just in love with the piece and he I get a phone call from him like months long time afterwards out of the blue and it's uh, Mark Linkus on the other line he's very soft-spoken southern gentleman and um, I was kind of I was taken off guard and he's like, I, I want to do something with this. And do you mind if I put it on my like website? And um, I'm like, yeah, go for it. you know. And so he did that. And he's like, but I also want to do this for, for an album. Would you be interested in you know, utilizing this to do my next record and stuff? I'm like, yeah. So I um, ended up doing his last official record. Um, and so that was interesting. You talk about working with people. So working with the record label, there's so many like people to appease. And, oh yeah. And so they ended up just wanting to 
buy the art and Frankenstein it and do whatever they want. Oof. And I was like, no way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, so I called Mark and I said, hey, this is what's going on. And I, 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 I'm not going to do it. So I, you know, I would love for you to use it, but it's not going to happen. And so he's like, hold on. So he calls the record label and he, which is so cool, and says he gets complete control. And, or, you know, that's it. Nice. And uh, so I got complete control. Thanks yeah. to that. And uh, um, so that was cool. And that was interesting. Because um, then that opened up a whole other can of worms of, well, I don't know how to use Cork Express. So, so I had to hire a, a designer, a kid from uh, Cal State Long Beach at the time, who I I worked with uh, at the print shop when I was doing posters. So he was in. He was like a one of the kick-ass design students at that school, which it's got a great design program. So uh, he was like, yeah. So basically, I went with him. I went to his house. I I had all the artwork scanned it all and we went over there and I just played art I just was like do this do this do this and he's like like you know, moving all the stuff and nice. so uh, so that was interesting and that was probably my first and last experience with the record labels of wanting to do that again yeah but uh, but it was good I was like okay did that um, and with especially too with a, a musician that I truly r- respected and loved the music which was pretty rad yeah, that's like an amazing feeling. Have you had a chance at all with like your newer work of anyone reaching out to you music-wise to to use your work for their music? <laughs> uh, yeah, I get randomly every once in a while I get direct messages for stuff, and I'm like, yeah, it's not your, it's not like yeah, your couple, not, not my thing. And I, I once I, I had been doing as I say posters for like twelve years and stuff, and I was in grad school. And I was making, I was working and I was making about five posters, four to five posters a month and trying to, and I was like, something's got to give yeah, and yeah. be a family man. And I was like, you know, yeah, there's only so many um, hours in a day. And then I'm like, why am I in grad school? I'm not learning anything. I'm just doing the same shit I've always done. And, uh, so I go, that's it. No more, no more. Am I doing this? I go, I'm only doing my own stuff. I, and, it would suck because there was revenue and there was my tie to music. There was, but I was like, I had to stop. I, I still get, like get asked to do stuff periodically once in a while, but it's usually, as, as like you said, just stuff I'm not into. Right. A, a buddy of mine who, um, he, he's a hustler and he uh, was like, hey, let's make a poster for fish. <laughs> they're doing festival this is years ago festival eight it was at uh, coachella like grounds and he goes i'll go around and i'll sell it at the you know and i'm like i don't even know fish's music really and uh i don't know the whole vibe but we were just we were working together and i just kicking around an idea and um festival eight i think was on halloween time so everyone dressing up and where the wild things are the movie had just come out oh yeah and uh so i go well and everyone's you know kooky so i go let's uh let's do trey as max from where the wild things are and i'll do <laughs> i'll recreate the 
the book and everything, and I'll just make it say fish. And Robert says, where are the wild things? And do it, make it just look, and I scanned like an old paperback book, and I created that like look of like a worn book within on top of the illustration. Everything was done in like layers. I was painting like everything was done in sections at this point and when I was doing stuff. Like how can I, how can I speed up the process? Because I was making a lot of stuff at the time. So I, so I utilized it on this where I painted the tree, I painted him, I painted this, and I just, you know, um, so we did anyway we did that and uh, he went around and I said if you we, I can't remember how many we did we did addition like 200 or something like that I said if you sell all of these I'll give you the original piece he sold them all I owed him that piece but this was it this was like I had already stopped doing posters my very last official poster that I did with fingerprints was Sparkle Horse actually yeah I'm like it was another one and uh I was like, that's it. That's a good one to end it on. And uh, so this one was kind of under the radar. And I even wrote on it uh, with apologies to Maurice Sendak on the bottom. And um, <laughs> But I, he, he sells them all, and then we, he tells me afterward, he goes, so I guess on these bootleg posters, you're not supposed to – if anyone's listening, I didn't make it. Um, you're not supposed to have a picture of Trey, and you're not supposed to use the word fish, which I did both. And he didn't tell me this until afterwards, but um, what are you gonna do? I still get emails going. Do you have any more of those uh, fish festival posters? And I'm like, <laughs> right, right. No. <laughs> they have such a huge following, you know. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's just a whole another different mindset of making art. And uh, yeah, it's it's well, it was fun. Well, what What are you working on now? Speaking of making art. Um, you working towards something? You just you're in I just am. a group of making. Stuff? I'm in the process of working on a show deadlines. for July, which nice. that's coming fast. And I'm basically right. Today's my day to really get started. Well, good thing I've just eaten <laughs> a big chunk of your time. No, no, no. no. What? Do, where's the? Is do you? Can you say where the show will be? Oh yeah, it's um, it's going to be a two person show. It's going to be at Johansson Projects in Oakland. Um, nice. I don't know when July. I need to touch back. We haven't quite nailed that down yet. Well, can you can you sort of like tell people who are listening where they can see the work and the best way to like follow what you're doing? Um, well, Instagram obviously is going to be the where I share the most. The main, and it, it's just me, Robert Picorni. Um, Got it. Which they'll probably get the name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, my website you can see some stuff as well but I mean really Instagram is where I show the most I show drawings I'll show other things and it's where you have the most activity I mean websites yeah. just don't get as much activity and then this I sure. say this will be up in Oakland if you're in Portland uh, Ampersand Gallery Miles there has a lot of my work um, Ampersand's amazing if you ever get a chance to go in there and yeah. Miles is amazing. Um, so yeah, I, sounds good. I think that's pretty much like best places to see. Thanks a ton for taking the time. I was great to to e meet. Yes, talk to you. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much.
soundofvisionpodcast.com and follow Sound of Vision on Instagram at Sound of Vision Podcast for more images, behind the scenes stuff. Many thanks to Brigitte for the music you're hearing now, the intro outro music, and Michael Lovett for the introduction. Check out his music at Nazca Lines or Metronomy. Brigitte has a new record coming out pretty soon on Ghostly Records. So you should definitely check out that as soon as it drops. Many thanks to Robert for taking the time out to speak with me. Check out his work on Instagram. And uh, also check out his work at Ampersand Gallery. And whenever he's showing, he's posting that stuff on Instagram. So make sure you give him a follow. If you can, leave a rating or review on iTunes. It really helps the podcast. Or share it with a friend. Post about it. Anyone you think would want to hear artists speaking about their lives and making art. Um, please spread the word. And many thanks to all the listeners. Strange.